Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Let's hope we get a lot of those brighter spells that are contained in the middle of that uh, weather forecast because today, Friday the 24th, is the Irish Cancer Society's Daffodil Day. I want to wish the best of luck to the tens of hundreds of volunteers who will be out all over the country today collecting on behalf of the Irish Cancer Society and as always we're encouraging you please if you're out and about and if you can afford please donate and please support the great work of the Irish Cancer Society they do amazing work and actually on the programme this morning we will chat with a a young um, woman who was diagnosed with cancer and she talks about the work of the Irish Cancer Society now there are some coffee mornings going on uh, this morning Cottrell's shop in Ballinhasic their coffee morning is underway also a coffee morning in O'Sullivan's Pharmacy in uh, Bandon. Tomorrow Saturday in uh, Tigoliri in uh, Bale Namarov there is a coffee day going on all day in aid of the Irish Cancer Society 11am to 6 tomorrow cake sale and raffle on the day and I'm told that Marion and Helen are hosting a coffee morning in the Temperance Hall on Strand Street in Canturk uh, today you're asked to pop in have a cup of coffee and a chat if you've gone to hand in any donations of baking they would be most welcome as well and every donation uh, will make a difference and that coffee morning f- for, by Marion and Helen in the Temperance Hall in Cantorca is on it's underway now it started at 10 until 1 o'clock while the students from Skullvira in Cantorca are on the streets there collecting for a daffodil day and I'm also told volunteers are in the square in Castletown Bear and they're in Supervalue in Castletown Bear selling uh, daffodils and collecting on behalf of the Irish Cancer Society so good luck to everybody involved and we really do hope a lot of money is raised for what is a wonderful, wonderful organisation. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls uh, this morning. And of course, one of the top uh, news stories, and it's in all of the papers today, is the news that the Gardaí are, as we speak, continuing to question two people arrested in connection with the discovery of the body of uh, a, a five-day-old baby on a beach in Carisavine in County Kerry, and that happened back in 1984. Now, the two people, the man is believed to be in his 60s, the woman is believed to be in her 50s. They were arrested last night. And I suppose what's kind of poignant at the moment is the 39th anniversary of the discovery of little baby John at White Strand in Carisavine is three weeks from today. We will be remembering baby John on the 39th anniversary. And of course, the the 
the body of the baby uh, was found with uh, 28 stab wounds. Now, last night's arrest, very significant development. This cold case review has been underway and it has been led by Superintendent Floor Murphy, who has said Gardaí are focused on establishing the truth of what happened to baby John. And of course, the, the case became known as the Kerry Babies uh, case um, at the launch of the cold case review. With The cold case review has been going on since January of 2018 at the time. Superintendent Murphy said there was always the belief that the answers to the questions about baby John lay in the Carcivine or the close surrounding uh, areas. And it's understood that the investigating team hold that belief still today. And that was their announcement back in 2018. But they believe it is still uh, the same. Now, the Gardaí, they've 24 hours to question the two people who were arrested uh, yesterday evening. As I say, we'll be talking about it uh, later on on the programme today in more detail. But Michael from Castletown Bear was on to say, Patricia, the breaking news of, of now approximately 40 years ago is only like yesterday. But my God, what a torturous lifetime that has been for Joanna Hayes and for her family. What the Gardaí put that lady through and her family, nothing but nothing will compensate her or them for what they went through. I sincerely hope that this case will finally have some closure and that justice will prevail. He said, I hope that baby John is smiling down on everyone this morning, knowing that finally justice and peace of mind will uh, prevail. Yeah, and I did reference uh, Joanne Hayes when I was teeing up the programme with uh, Ken in the last hour. What they have been through has been just horrendous, absolutely horrendous. But I'm also very conscious of whoever was responsible, one or more person who was responsible for the death of the little baby John what kind of a life have they had for the last uh, 40 years? That's like you can't be involved in something like that and just put it to the back of your mind when, you know, when you go to bed at night and when you close your eyes and, and try and sleep um, and in your sleep, thoughts of what happened must uh, come back to you. I think they've also couldn't have led um, a, a very normal life knowing that that dark secret has been hanging over them. So will uh, will we finally get to the bottom of this case nearly 40 years later? Only time will tell. Your thoughts welcome to 0818 103 103. And just staying on uh, court cases, um, a case that's in all of the papers and and pictures going with it and it was making the news yesterday uh, as well as to do with this young Dublin girl, Alana Quinn uh, Idris. And she has said that the jail term given to one of her attackers simply isn't justified for the life that she has uh, lost. And it was Daryl Lyons who has been sentenced yesterday, a 19-year-old. He took part in a gang attack that left this young Dublin woman blind in one eye. It was an attack that happened back in the Valley Fermat area in December of 2021. And yesterday, this 19-year-old Daryl Lyons was jailed for four and a half years after pleading guilty to causing her serious harm and also assaulting her friend and he also pleaded guilty to violent uh, disorder but it was after the court case and after the sentencing that Alana Quinn Idris spoke. She was just 17 at the time. Um, She's 19 now but she expressed her disappointment at the jail uh, term that was given to Daryl Lyons and asked how she was feeling she said obviously not very good being told what happened to me 
and the life that I've lost is only worth four and a half years obviously isn't the best thing to hear. She said, I have to be like this now for the rest of my life and in four and a half years time, he'll be out of jail and free. I don't really feel that these consequences are justified considering how I have to be now for the rest of my life. Now, this Dara Lyons admitted causing Alana serious harm during the assault uh, in Ballyfermot. It was on the 30th of December in 2021. He also pleaded guilty to violent disorder and assault arising from the incident during which another teenager, this was Alana friend, Lewis O'Sullivan, was also beaten and was also stabbed. Uh, Alana lost the use of her right eye after being hit with the saddle of an e-scooter and she was hit with such force it actually knocked her unconscious. Darrell Lyons, who was before the courts, uh, punched her once in the face during the incident and later jumped over her as she lay prone on the ground unconscious while he was continuing to attack her friend uh, Lewis. Uh, the judge yesterday, Martin Nolan, described the attack as premeditated and savage. He said that... Um, Alana gave a very, very moving victim impact statement and was deeply affected by the attack. Judge Nolan said he did not believe that Dara Lyons wanted the victim to suffer serious inju- injuries, but added that he was involved and he was culpable by design. In mitigation, though, he took into account uh, the Dara Lyons' lack of previous convictions, also his cooperation in the case. He uh, took into consideration his age, saying that young people do irrational and stupid things. Now, he said the maximum sentence for assault causing harm was life and that the state submitted that the sentence should be between 10 and 14 years. But Judge Nolan said he believed that the headline sentence should be between eight and nine years. And taking everything into account, then he sentenced the defendants instead to four and a half years. Now, there's two other males allegedly involved. They're also before the courts. And there's a third individual who was the individual who is believed actually hit Alana with the saddle. That fourth individual has never been identified. They were described in court as an organised gang of four males who tracked the victims from a distance. In the victim impact statement, Alana said that the vicious and unnecessary attack had destroyed both her confidence and her chance of now leading a normal life. She said, the life I was supposed to live was taken away from me before I even turned 18, adding that the life she had known uh, came to an abrupt end. She actually went on to say in her victim impact statement that sometimes she wishes that she'd never woken up when she was hit by that object on that day. It's just, and to watch her outside of court, beautiful, beautiful looking girl. And you can clearly see that she has lost uh, the sight in one of her eyes and has left her absolutely devastated. But it's just, what got to me in this particular case was the the level of extreme violence. You know, where is that coming from? It seems this gang of four... They got on the same bus, they followed them and that when Alana and this other young man, Lewis, got off the bus, then they got off after them, the verbal altercation and then that led uh, to this vicious, absolutely vicious, vicious um, uh, attack. I mean, where is that extreme violence coming from and, and where is it going to, you know, where does it end? Where, you know, and how do we 
get this level of violence to stop. Now, some like Alana herself will point to the fact that it's the sentences. Should the sentences be tougher? And if they were tougher, would it act as a deterrent to other people? I mean, if this that young 19 year old had, had gotten a longer sentence yesterday, would other young people look at that case and think, oh, maybe it's just not worth it? Whereas, you know, she makes a valid point. She now live with the, what, what has been done to her for the rest of her life where after four and a half years and probably with good behaviour he won't even do uh, four and a half years he'll be back out and still a young man and able to go on and lead a normal life. Yeah. Having just referenced the Kerry Babies uh, story you know and a story that um, those of us of a certain age can remember because it's almost now nearly uh, thir- nearly 40 uh, years ago it'll be 40 years ago next year since that baby was found a breaking news story of another historical case is the investigation into the disappearance of of Annie McCarrick. Remember Annie McCarrick who went missing, that young American uh, woman? That's 30 years ago. That now has just been upgraded to a murder inquiry. She had been living in Sandy, Sandymount in Dublin. She was 26 at the time and she went missing on the 26th of March 1993. So it's coming up to the anniversary of the uh, this weekend. She was from Long Island in New York. She was over in Ireland studying and working. She'd been here for a number of years. Now, there had been a a number of reported sightings. There was extensive searches, but no trace has ever been found of Annie McCarrick since she went missing this weekend, 30 years ago. And the investigation team in Irish Tongarda Station in Dublin have announced, just announced that the missing person inquiry has now been reclassified as a murder investigation. And they're saying the decision to upgrade the story is based on the entirety of the information available to the team and to coincide with the 30th anniversary of the disappearance this weekend. Gardaí have once again renewed their appeal for information. Again, that's another case that somebody somewhere knows uh, something. And of course, what was, I think, particularly sad about the Annie McCarrick case, and Annie was amongst a group of other num- other women, uh, Deirdre Jacobs, um, Jojo Dollar. There was a number of women went missing over a kind of a relatively short uh, period of uh, time. But uh, Annie McCarrick's was, I think, one of the really sad, well, they were all really sad, but I think for her family, because she was an only child. And I remember her, her dad, John, speaking, you know, he was, she was the light of their lives and the devastation when their only daughter went missing and then never found and of course he's gone to his grave without ever finding out what happened to Danny because he died in 2009. Now her mother Nancy is still alive and living in New York and it seems that senior Gardy flew over to New York and paid a visit to Nancy to update them on the investigation and no doubt to tell her in advance of the 30th anniversary of her disappearance that it's now been upgraded to a murder inquiry. Some will say that that should have been upgraded many, many years ago when there was absolutely just nothing was found. Um, it was So maybe with the reclassification now, uh, something will come out of that particular case. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. On this day in 1968, Aer Lingus Flight 712 departed from Cork Airport heading to London Heathrow. Sadly, the flight didn't make it and crashed near Tusker Rock off the Wexford coast, leaving 61 people dead. 
55 years later, mystery still surrounds what happened to that Viscount plane. Jerome McCormack from Cove joins me on this anniversary to remember his brother Neil, who was one of, who was the very last to board the plane uh, that day. Uh, good morning to you, Jerome. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm I'm very well, and and you're very welcome uh, to the program. Thank you for that nice introduction there. Well, and, and I'm very conscious of the day that's yeah. in it, and you know, even looking at the clock, thinking all you yeah. know, sixty one passengers uh, and the crew would have been at the airport this day uh, exactly at this time, time yeah. uh, fifty five years ago. I suppose talk to me firstly about Neil and why he was at the airport well, and why he was on that flight. Yes, he he was thirty five. Uh, he had been working in Glenmore in County Cork, you know, Glenworth. I do. He worked for Quinlan's there in the mills. He was the mill manager for a couple of years, you know, and uh, he was going uh, off to um, to Switzerland to a job interview. So he was travelling through London, you know. So a lot of exci- a lot of excitement for him heading off on this almost a big oh, adventure. <laughs> you know, he was a, he was uh, he was employed at an earlier stage before Quinlan's in 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 um, in in uh, in North Cork, he was uh, he was an international textile consultant with Werners of New York, and he was well 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 versed in all that business. And you know, as so, a family, when and how did you hear about the crash? Well, we were sitting down having our lunch, uh, Patricia, on on the Sunday. I think it was around one o'clock. I think, and it could have been David Timlin or one of the well-known um, radio uh, news presenters uh, came on, gave the usual news. Uh, my mother was sitting there at the table. I was there myself. I was 20 years of age. And the next thing, there was a late news uh, section came on and said that the uh, flight 712 from Cork to London was delayed. And uh, then that that was okay. And uh, we, we heard then shortly, very shortly afterwards, there was another late piece of news which said that uh, the, the gave the, um, the last message from it which was spinning rapidly, yes, 15,000 feet or 10,000, they weren't absolutely sure, you know. And then you just had to wait for confirmation, was... We had to wait, I, I had to phone, uh, we had to phone then uh, the airport and I said, was was Neil McCormick on the flight? And she said, yes, you know. So there were 61 very sad people yeah. uh, who, who had to go through that crash, but 61 lots of relatives, friends, you know, had to endure a horrific time. And out oh, of out of the sixty one, Jerome, only fourteen bodies were recovered. That is correct. That's correct. Yeah, and one of those bodies was unidentified. You see, um, I won't go into the details, okay. but uh, it, it couldn't be identified at the time. And um, I I had a feeling, well, who could it be? You see, and and uh, I I got a lot of cooperation from the county council, guards, engineering people, everyone came in on this one, and we had that body exhumed. And was brought to uh, England to have um, um, a, a DNA profile carried out on it, you know. But uh, the, the DNA wasn't sufficiently um, advanced enough at that time. And uh, that was around the year 2000. And um, it wasn't until 16 years later that uh, it began to become clear that it could now be uh, processed for a DNA um a profile, you know, and then that would be the first step in, in identifying that body. Because so that do, was, do, yeah. do I take it that Neil wasn't one of the bodies found? Well, no, <laughs> strangely enough, I, I, uh, the, the laboratory and the, the investigators asked me 
to be the first <laughs> to 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 give my profile you see so which well if i gave my profile and then it would be matched with the other one yeah with the one from the um, the remains and if it matched them it would have been it would have been neil you see but it wasn't it no. wasn't uh, it wasn't him and they asked me was i um, was i disappointed well i said i'm not really i'm, I'm not disappointed because you know basically when one uh, family is taken out of the reckoning, well, that it means uh, um, the, uh, the chances are uh, greater for the others to become, you know, involved. And all of the Irish uh, relatives uh, who could possibly have been like a, a fully grown male was the body. And it could have been uh, any of 32 different families. And they yeah, were and, all, and all I, 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 that must even make it harder, um, Jerome, uh, that you, yeah, that well, you look, don't I mean, have a say, grave. Patricia, the people are dead and gone and like, you know, we, we, we can't be grieving forever and ever and ever. You know what I mean? And we, we are. I, I, I want to we, we want to move on, I suppose. But at the same time, we want to move on from truth, you know. That's OK, really just just to yeah. fill listeners in to date, what yeah. explanation has been given for the crash? Well, there was, uh, in 1970, you had the official report done by Mr. O'Sullivan. He was the chief guy in charge of the AAIU at the time, Air Accident Investigation Unit in Dublin. And I think he, he did a very thorough thorough search. And uh, um, in, in, in due to aggravation, then in, in uh, the year 2000, there was a, a report done by um, Mary O'Rourke was involved in that and the British ambassador, and uh, they did a review, which was a civil service type review, which had no outside influence whatsoever. Then uh, two years later, there was um, three guys came in who were, two of them were French and one of them was Australian, and they came in and did a study. Now, the, the first one was a report, which was pretty factual because it was right on the spot and it was there at the moment of the, almost the day of the crash, they were there in, involved. Uh, the review was done, it was a kind of a civil service review done, you know, years and years and years later, sort of uh, paperwork stuff. And then you had um, the study, which was a huge expensive study done by the Irish government mm. to see if they could find out what went wrong. And they came up with some unusual scenarios, uh, one of them including that a goose had flown up from Wexford and found the plane at 17,000 feet and, and killed everybody on board. A bird, what, we know, no yeah, one, what we know is a bird strike. A bird strike, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no evidence of that whatsoever. Yeah. You know, no no bone or blood or... And then this this, this ongoing story of a, a sighting of a second plane. Yes, there is, because there's a, um, there's um, living evidence of that, you know, from people who... There have, was, it was eyewitness, it. yeah. There was, there was eyewitnesses. Yes, yeah, and they're still there, yeah. But that's been denied? Uh, it hasn't been denied. Has no, it not? It has not been denied, but it has been brushed aside, in a sense, you know. But it's still there, it hasn't gone away, yeah. you know. And uh, what, what, do, what do you believe happened? Well, I, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I think the, everyone knows what probably what, you know, down to a very narrow uh, viewpoint. They, everyone can kind of uh, have a good guess now without going into realms of theory or anything yeah. like that. They have, can have a good educated guess, you know, but you see, you can't, you can't pin it down to the final, you know, the final total answer because it's, it's secretive, you know, and then it's, it's, 
there's military secrecy there and uh, you can't get inside that. Yeah. Yeah. And the plane you know? itself, the t- I mean, there had been I, and I, I didn't realise this until I was doing some research on it yesterday. There had yeah. been two other plane crashes. Of there was the one, same... one, one of them was uh, in near near the airport in Dublin and it was a, a three man. They were uh, they were just doing a training flight. Yeah. You know, for young pilots. The, yeah. Two young pilots. Yeah. And, you know, they were young, inexperienced. They were only being taken out by an experienced pilot. And um, the conclusion that they came to know, they did, they, they won't have conclusive proof on it. But the conclusion that they more or less came to was that that pilot had um, a health problem, you know, and that it could have interfered with the, the you know, the monitoring of the plane or the, 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 uh, the training flight, it could have interfered with the, okay. with the running of the plane, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the, but the, 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 those Viscount planes, they were withdrawn then, weren't they? They were not. No, they were never withdrawn. That's the funny thing about well, it. Or were they um, not? Okay. They were not withdrawn because um, the Viscount was, was uh, there was 444 of them built and they were reckoned uh, by lots of pilots, you know. Pilots have opinions about planes and they... They were very, very pleased with the with the Viscount, and it was a very popular plane. It was it was an English built plane, but it was um, it was in lots and lots and lots of air, airlines all over the world, you know. And um, okay. it was it had been that plane had been with um, KLM for eight years, and Aer Lingus bought it from them amongst several others. And the first thing they did was to have that plane totally checked out at um, in Scotland. Airwork in Scotland did a huge. Uh, check up on the plane before yeah, they bought so te- it. You know, te- they... Technically, it was it was it was yes, okay. Yeah, yes, there was yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. And are you in contact with other relatives of people who lost? Well, I would ones? be. Yeah. yeah, I would of course. Yeah, I would be. But it's a sad contact, I suppose. I know, you know, in I many know. Ways because, like, um, it's uh, it's secrecy, and you know, there there things can come out. You know, uh, the truth is there. You see, the truth the truth can't be altered. Whatever the truth was, like, I, I'll accept the truth, you know what I mean, whatever. But it can't be altered. You can't come up with things like geese and things like that uh, and without evidence and, and say that's what happened, you know. Uh, and and in order and, to get, and, and I know you're, you're saying, you know, you, you all have to move on. And I mean, obviously, 55 yeah. years later, you have all yeah. tried to live, live, live your lives yeah. and, and moved well, on. We remember them. Yeah, yeah. but you, they, 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 they absolutely will never be uh, forgotten. But to finally get closure, what you need is the truth. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're saying. Well, yeah, um, I suppose, yes. And then we can, you know, we can, uh, you know, move on then, you know, properly, like, you know. But they were not withdrawn. Uh, and, and Mr. Darren, he was the head man in Aer Lingus. The following morning on Monday, the 25th of March, 1968, he stated, and it's it's on record and it's printed, that there was nothing wrong with the Viscount planes, which okay. there wasn't really, because I had flown on the very same plane three weeks beforehand from London to Cork. It was my first flight ever. And I flew on that flight from 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 London Heathrow oh, to to, um, to Cork, and I I was so amazed with my first flight kind of thing that I I, I, I spent a a good ten minutes looking at every single bit of the plane, walking around it. Like I mean, you couldn't do it now, I'd say. Yeah, but that chance, time yeah, there was less yeah. security, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I walked around, I looked around, and I came around then to the the cockpit uh, part. And I looked up at it and I saw St. Phelan and it was written in the old style Irish, P-H-F-E-I-D-L-I-M. Yeah. That was written on the side of it. I'm sure I didn't know anything about St. Phelan or anything at that stage, you know, but it was my first flight. It was totally uneventful and we 
was a lovely flight uh, from from Heathrow, and uh, and that's, only and that's what full, what, you know? what should have happened again on this day uh, fifty five uh, years ago. Do you still think it's not too late to to hold some kind of a, an oral hearing, a full inquiry? Well, I I absolutely hundred percent agree that uh, it's the biggest loss of life in this country. It's the biggest loss of life. Uh, it was an awful disaster, but it was fifty one people. This is sixty one. Yeah. And um, I did see um, in in my research uh, a letter written by, I won't mention any names now, but someone very high up in, in government and um, a very short letter to say that uh, public inquiry, of course, is inevitable. You know, but it never happened. Inevitable. Never happened. No. Okay. Whatever happened, this never happened anyway. Yeah. Well, listen, we remember all of uh, the 61 people and in particular your brother. Yeah, you're very kind. And and I thank you. I really do. I appreciate you taking time out to talk to us today. Well, I appreciate it so much, you know. And next Sunday now, the 26th of March, there's a small remembrance at Shandon Church in Cork. We just ring the bells. For 61 names, that's all we ah, do. You that's know? nice. That's lovely. Nice. Listen, you look after yourself, Jeremy, and thanks for talking Thank to us. Good morning to you. Thank bye-bye. You. Bye-bye. Cheers. Jeremy McCormick there from uh, Cove, remembering his brother, Neil, and the other uh, 60 uh, people who died on this day 55 uh, years ago. May they all rest in peace. Now, as we've been hearing on the news all morning, a man in his 60s and a woman in her 50s have been arrested in connection with the Kerry Babies case after a DNA analysis enabled a breakthrough in the tragedy. The dead infant was found with multiple injuries at White Strand in Cahirsivine and it's uh, almost 40 years ago. It was April of 1984. Sinead Kelleher is with the Kerryman newspaper and Sinead joins me. Good morning to you, Sinead. Morning, how are you? Uh, I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Sinead, what has been the reaction in Kerry to the news of these two arrests? I think everyone's very, very shocked. I suppose at this stage, 40 years later, many thought there would never be, this case would never be resolved, particularly because I suppose we all know dates back 40 years, but I suppose the last five years have been more intensive with the launch of the cold case investigation in January 2018. When that was launched first, you know, everyone was shocked and going, they're going to go back over. But when nothing happened in the intervening five years, I think the majority of people thought this case would never be resolved and that the, the relaunch of the cold case was effectively a waste of time. And then last night, the shocking news came that there had been two arrests in a case that is almost almost 40 years old now. And has this case almost hung like a shadow over the Carrasavine area? I think so, yeah. I think there'd probably be a many divided opinions. You know, some would prefer to let, as they say, sleeping dogs lie. That is so long ago now. And others, you know, want to know what happened. I mean, a, a baby died back in April 1984. And at the time when the Gardaí launched a cold case investigation, they said this. They wanted answers to what happened to baby John. And they have continued to seek those answers. And Gardaí have always believed that those involved in the death of baby John, that it was somebody local. Isn't that always been the belief? That's always been a belief, yeah, because obviously I suppose back in 1984, again, it's a part of years ago now, we have to remember, so there wouldn't have been too many, for want of a better phrase, outsiders living you know, in the area or that would have come to Carsevine or made their way there so that they would have believed local in the area. It may not be Carsevine, it may be anywhere in South Kerry, but local to Kerry. And the two people arrested, we do know, are from Kerry. OK, who, who gave the, the baby the name John, by the way? Um, the, I, I, it was the undertaker at the time, if I recall was correctly. It? yeah. 
Yeah, because obviously there was no name. No, nobody knew who this baby uh, was. And DNA technology, uh, Sinead, that's changed so much since 1984, isn't it? Hasn't it? That's absolutely the case. I mean, they had to, they actually had a sample from baby John back from 1984, but that wouldn't have been good enough 40 years later to use. So when the cold case was opened in January 2018, they carried out inquiries. And in, in September 2021, the baby was exhumed and a, a, a DNA sample was taken, a better, a better quality DNA sample for the technology that we have available today. And this, we understand, has what led to today, the arrest now this week. And the Gardaí is still appealing for anyone who has information to come forward. Yeah, like last night, they said that this was a significant development in the case, but they are still seeking information and will treat anyone that comes forward with sensitivity and kindness. I mean, this still is a very sensitive case. Mm. You know, obviously the answers to what happened to baby John need to be found, but there's also a very sensitive case. It was a very different era back then. It's been a case that's shadowed the whole county and country for more than 40 years. So it is very, you know, there's a lot of factors to be taken into account. And the the little grave where baby John is uh, buried in Carsavine, that I believe has been vandalised uh, a couple yes, of times. Yes, I, I can't remember what year now, but that, that was the case. But that, that, that yeah, that was quite a few, several years ago and there was some damage done to some of the, in, the ornaments on the grave. Yeah. That's correct, yeah. But no, nobody that. ever prosecuted for that? No, nobody no. was ever prosecuted no. for that, no. No. Okay, okay. And and if, and please God, this case can be solved, do you believe it might bring some closure to Joanne Hayes and her family, who, of course, were so wrongly accused of involvement in, in the death of baby John? Absolutely. Well, I think in, in, in January, you know, when they relaunched a cold case in 2008, they absolutely ruled out any, you know, any connection with Joanne Hayes and have since obviously apologised to her. The state has a formal apology. So absolutely, but I suppose it would be just nice for the Hayes family who more than deserve that they are completely and utterly exonerated, even though this has been done, obviously, and, and, you know, officially, but I suppose the, if the truth was out, then we would 100% know what happened, baby John. But I think, you know, at this stage, the case coming up must be very difficult for the Hayes family. It comes up every so often again this week. Now it's in the headlines and her name is associated with, again, when she has, in fact, nothing to do with it at all. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, what's happening now? The Gardaí have, I believe, 24 hours to question the two people. That's my understanding. So they've been in, in custody since last night. So my understanding is they will remain in custody throughout most of today and this evening. Just, you know, obviously taking into account that breaks and stuff and breaks from questioning. Yeah. So at the moment, we don't know what will happen later today, if anything at all will happen today, but they will remain in custody for questioning throughout the day. Are they in separate Garda stations? They are. They were arrested and, and, and they're in separate Garda stations in Kerry, one in the Stole and one in Castle Island, is my understanding. OK, all right. As you say, whether we will hear something later on or not, only time will tell. Listen, Sinead, I really appreciate you taking time out to talk to us today. Thank you for that. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thanks a million. Bye bye. That is uh, Sinead Kerry, who is a journalist with the Kerry Man uh, newspaper. On uh, just there's um, the the latest, I suppose, is still the same. They both are being uh, questioned by Angarda Shikona. The man is believed to be in his 60s and the woman is believed to be in her 50s. Arrested last night, 24 hours. But uh, that could go on a little bit longer uh, as well. It's just it's just one of those awful, awful uh, cases between that and the news now of Annie McCarrick uh, 30 years later uh, this weekend since she went missing and her case is to be upgraded to a murder uh, as well. Uh, here's hoping we'll get to the bottom of some of these cases. You're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed
Can I clarify this? Because I've seen Heidi and actually there's a couple of other uh, people are bringing up the same uh, topic. But Heidi sums it up in her text saying, Morning, Patricia. Is it true what I am hearing that Dublin Airport is to start charging to drop off and pick up passengers? I think if this is right, then it is definitely a step too far. The poor old motorist once again been shafted for no good reason. And it'll be just the poor old guys and gals. Bet your bottom dollar they won't be charging government or any of the government officials when they travel in and out of uh, Dublin Airport. Now, just to give you the background of this, the plan for... Dublin Airport to charge people if you're dropping off or collecting a passenger has actually been around for the last uh, couple of years. It's the DAA, the Dublin Airport uh, Authority. They have been trying to introduce it, but in order to do it, they had to apply to Fingal County Council where the airport is because they needed to get permission for relevant infrastructure to change. Now, they first applied in 2021 and at the time, Fingal County Council turned down the permission and they reckoned they were against the original plan because there would have been a loss of long-term parking spaces. That was one of the reasons that Fingal County Council gave for not giving the planning permission to Dublin Airport to charge to drop off and collect passengers. That was in 2021. But then last year, in actually this month last year, March of 2022, they went back again to, to the council and they were granted planning permission to allow them to charge for drop-off and collecting passengers. However, the council's decision was applied and then it had to go back to on board uh, Planola. And then on Wednesday of this week, the appeals board published a decision upholding the council's decision to grant planning permission. So therefore on Wednesday, that cleared the way for the DAA to get to work on their plans whereby they could charge passengers for drop-off and uh, collection. But I've just seen a Twitter response from Dublin Airport saying in response to media reports Dublin Airport has no current plans to introduce drop-off and pick-up charges. So at the moment, but I think the words that I'm picking up in that particular tweet, they have no current plans. So I'm assuming because they've been given the permission from Fingal County Council, which means they can go ahead and do it, it is going to happen sooner rather than later. I don't know, but it's certainly no current plans at the moment. We They won't be the first airport in the world uh, to do it. It seemingly is quite common internationally. If you look across the water at our closest neighbours, the U. UK and their main air- airports, they all charge. Heathrow Airport introduced it a number of years ago. They also charge at uh, Stansted, Manchester and Birmingham, all charge to drop off passengers or to pick up uh, passengers. In the UK, it's between £3 and £7. And what happens is as soon as you go into the drop off uh, zone, you then have between 10 and 15 minutes to drop off and collect uh, a passenger. And it can be, depending on the airport, anywhere from £3 to £7. Some see it as a money making issue. The DAA don't. They say the reason that they want to introduce this. They say it's part of their wider sustainability agenda. Doesn't sustainability get ruled out for anything that's going to cost you and I the punter extra money? They are saying that the reason they want to introduce drop-off and pick-up charges, it's aimed at reducing the number of people who use private vehicles to travel to and from the airport. And they say by disincentivising the use of of cars, the DAA believe that more people will use public uh, transport and that their 
there by then will result in, they say, the more efficient use of the airport's road network. So they want to stop the number of people who are travelling into the airport just to drop off and uh, collect. So no current plans at the moment. But the reason that it's back in the news and the reason that there's so much talk about it was that on this Wednesday, on board uh, Planola published their decision upholding Fingal County Council's decision to grant planning permission, which now clears the way for the DAA to work on introducing a charge for drop off and collection of uh, passengers. That is not certainly hasn't gone down well with some of our listeners who heard the rumours uh, this week. 0818-103-103. A listener, oh, this is responding to the piece I did at the top of the programme, talking about that case that's all over the papers with that beautiful young Dublin teenager, Alana Quinn Idris, who has lost the sight in one of her eye after what was an absolutely vicious attack. Herself and her friend uh, Lewis were on a bus in in Ballyfermot. It looked like they were deliberately targeted by a gang of four young young lads. I mean, the guy who was in court yesterday is uh, only 19, so he would have been only 17 when the attack happened in December of uh, 2021 and he got four and a half years and Alana herself felt the four and a half years wasn't enough. And, you know, she very much made the the point that I'll have to live with this, you know, and live with the loss of her eye for the rest of her life. Whereas after four and a half years, this guy will be back out on the uh, streets. Uh, Gemma said, I was listening to you about that case of that poor Dublin girl who lost the sight in one of her eye, eyes and the boy, the young lad, getting four and a half years. Could they not have tried him for a crime hate because of her race? Her life has been ruined. He'll be a young man still and probably will get out in under the four and a half years. Yeah, I, I mentioned that because there will be, you know, they get, they get off on good behaviour and, and all of that. Um no justice is uh, what Gemma said. Well, I didn't at any stage when I was following uh, this case, I didn't at any stage hear anything about a hate crime or that her race came into it uh, at all. They had been targeted. I, I, I don't know why. It, from what I can gather from what was reported about the case, it looked like it was the young man, the young boy, uh, Lewis O'Sullivan, who was very badly beaten and stabbed. It looked like it was he was really the target. But obviously she was his friend. And she jumped, you know, she tried to protect him and then she ended up uh, getting uh, attacked because I know at one stage the guy said that she attempted to get in between her friend and the defendant, the guy who was in court uh, yesterday. And then it was at that stage he punched her then in the face and then the other person who still hasn't been identified was the one who took what seemed to be the saddle off the e-bike and punched her into the face with that and actually hit her so hard, knocked her unconscious. So we're assuming it was from that blow that um, she then lost the sight in one of her eyes. So no, I don't think a hate crime or anything to do with her race was mentioned because I I don't think it was involved in this particular case, but it was just a vicious, vicious uh, attack. 0818103103 and it's just, you know, it led me to say, how do we stop this extreme violence uh, in uh, young uh, people? Pat Informoy says that he was watching a primetime programme recently it featured shoplifting. I saw it teed up, but I, I didn't get to see it. And by all accounts on this primetime programme, it shows that shoplifting is on the rise. Pat is wondering, could shops not tag everything with a location tag? 
he says the prices have come down on a lot of these tags and then you could trace back where the item was stolen to. He also feels that those who are found guilty of shoplifting instead of jail time, he says that clearly and the programme showed it's clearly not working. Uh, they should put a curfew on these people and if any of them are caught out after the curfew, then they can be dealt with. The curfew surely would be better on young offenders. And I don't know, I'm, I mean, I'm assuming when young people are first before the courts uh, curfews uh, are used how successful they are I don't know but and of course the, this the shoplifting affects all of us because if the shops are losing a lot of their items through shoplifting ultimately we all end up paying because the shop has to keep in business so everything else will go up in price if there's a lot of shoplifting uh, going on so everyone suffers it's not just the shop owner that is losing out 0818 103 103 and a kind of an example of some bizarre driving Marion was on to say she was driving one afternoon this week on the South Link and she said a driver near next to her started swerving you know which obviously then spooked Marion to go God what's this person swerving for so when Marion looked over at the driver to see what was going on Marion says swear to God hand on heart she witnessed it she reckons the person driving the car was reading a book at the same time she said it very nearly could have, could have caused a pile up and I don't know if the driver because I know Marion was speaking with John Paul. I don't know if the driver was a male or a female. Now, we've all witnessed somebody swerving. And when you look, you'll see somebody on a mobile phone trying to read a text or trying to send a text. We've certainly seen that uh, before. But to actually witness somebody driving a car while holding a book seems absolutely bizarre. And Marion, you're right, that could have caused a very, very serious uh, pileup because that South Link is a busy, busy road. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your call. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. A motor mechanic is wanted for CVRT Centre. They're based in Blackpool. CVRT training can also be provided. CVs please to garage at dcronenmotors.com. Now, the Chair Hair Salon, they're under new management and they are now looking for two new hairstylists to join their team. They're based in George's Key in the city. You send your CVs, please, to owner at chair.ie. An experienced machine driver is wanted for work in Mallow, jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. And an accounts assistant is wanted to work in the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow. CVs, please, to the attention of Joseph. And you send your CVs to info at hibernianhotelmallow.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. This is Court today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Tomorrow at the Cork Unitarian Church on Princess Street, Peter Keenan will be launching his latest book and the book is called The Death of Jesus the Jew. And the guest speaker will be Father Tony Flannery, a man we haven't spoken to in quite some time. So I'm delighted to say that Father Tony joins me on the programme today. Good morning to you, Tony. 
Good morning, Patricia, uh, and uh, lovely to be speaking to you again. Well, it is just fantastic to speak with you, and it is hard to believe now that it's over 10 years since you were suspended by the it, Vatican. It is. It's a, it, this time, 11 years ago, I was in the middle of it. And how are you doing since? Oh, actually not too bad really now, Patricia. Uh, if you have any cure for old age... <laughs> I'm 76 now and moving on. It's strange, uh, the whole thing. Uh, you see, a lot has happened in the meantime, like, for instance, with all the synodal stuff in the Catholic Church and in Ireland. What I find now is everything I ever said and wrote about that was objected to by the Vatican has now become official church positions in the synodal movement. And uh, it's it's all very strange. And, and I'm saying to myself, like, I hear bishops now saying things that I was suspended for saying. And I was saying, oh, why the hell am I still sidelined? Yeah, yeah, like you are, you are effectively still gagged, and you're right. What what you were writing about is now discussed in in many public forums oh, of the Catholic the, Church, yes, and I, and thankfully so. I, indeed, and and I'm delighted to see it happen. Now, I was at the uh, the famous meeting in Adlone last June, in which the uh, the sentences was being presented of all the reports from the different dioceses and groups and everything about the synodality discussions. And all the bishops were there present too. And I was sitting there amazed, hearing things like the ordination of women, uh, uh, reforming church teaching on sexuality, particularly on LGBT, uh, uh, renewing the whole notion of priestly ministry and who's open to ministry and all those things that I was considered a heretic for saying. And I mean, I wasn't the only one saying them. Uh, I don't for, for a minute suggest that others were saying them too. For some reason or other, I tended to get hammered a bit more than the rest. You seem to be the thorn in their side for, for whatever like. reason. And have you ever had the chance to appeal that decision? Oh, not at all. There was no... That's the other big thing about it. The, the, the whole system is so abusive and unjust uh, like not only is there not an appeals process but the I was discussed the decision was made the penalties were decided on before I even knew the process had begun and then I was hauled over to Rome and I was presented with a document outlining the awful things I had written and said and the punishments that had to be inflicted on me. And that was it. There was no comeback and there was no way that I would even be talked to. It was a crazy system, uh, Patricia. And it's extraordinary, you know, for a church that rightly talks so much about the need for justice and fairness and the equality and all of that is still running a system within itself and and in a practical the practical terms of it it means can you still say mass but just not in public exactly i can say mass privately yeah but uh, 
I'm really looking forward to tomorrow in the Unitarian Church because it will be actually my first time speaking in public in Cork since. since. And And like I I had done so many missions in Avina. I think I think I preached in every church in Cork City. You were you believe you were very well known, very very well known. (laughs) Did 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 I read somewhere that your sister passed away and you couldn't you couldn't even say her mass? Oh God. Geraldine died about 18 months ago up in Tume. Uh, now, before that, my brother Peter died, who was also a redemptorist. And he died in Limerick in the redemptorist monastery. So the funeral was in the redemptorist church. Now, there was no difficulty about me saying that mass. Either the redemptorist authorities or indeed the bishop in Limerick made no issue about it at all. Great. So when Geraldine died in Tume, then I, I was presuming there wouldn't be a problem about me saying her mass in the cathedral in Tume. But I asked permission. I went to the administrator and he said he'd have to consult the bishop. Geraldine was still alive at this stage, but very close to the end. The way it worked out was horrible, actually. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, uh, Patricia, because uh, I had spent the night with Geraldine and then I was briefly gone away from the nursing home where she was dying and I was in my car. And I got a phone call from the administrator, uh, the priest in charge of the, the the cathedral. And it was literally as blunt as this. He said to me, the archbishop said no. Just that. The archbishop didn't talk to me at all. That's the only message I got. And then 15 minutes later, I got a phone call to say Geraldine had died. So that was fairly horrible by any standards. That is beyond cruel, Tony. It is. Now, what we did actually, uh, Patricia, worked out great. You see, it was COVID times. And the restriction at the time was a maximum of 50. But Geraldine had a nice uh, um, sunroom at the back of our house. And it was a lovely August day. So we actually had the funeral in the house. 
uh, with the, the body laid out in the sunroom and uh, people in the lawn out back to the old glass and we had the microphone and we had cameras and it was a lovely funeral compared to what it would have been in a big cathedral with only 50 people. Doesn't God work in mysterious yeah, I ways? I know, so it he worked really out does. very well. But at the yeah. same time, the, the fact that the Archbishop didn't even ring me personally, I, I, I found that so hard. Yeah. I say, yeah. of all the things that happened to me, in the, oh God, I sound like self-pity here. No, 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 no. And, and you know, I'm the menace were tired As now, you were, okay. All right. And listen, I know um, we regularly chat with uh, Father Tim uh, Hazelwood, who yes. is, 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 is uh, obviously is very capable in doing what, uh, it, in singing guy. the praises of the Association of Catholic Priests, the, the group that, that you founded. They're yes. calling for your suspension uh, to be lifted. So you do have support. I do, I do, I know, and it's great. Uh, they issued a very strong statement. In fact, three different uh, church, lay church reform groups have also joined in to back that statement, calling on the church authorities and the redemptorist authorities to do so. I suppose there is a sense in which now, because of the age I'm at, unless something is done soon, it won't be done at all. So in and would you like to return to full ministry? Well, it isn't so much that, Patricia. I would like to have the thing lifted yeah. uh, because there is a sense of an injustice about it and I'd like to have that cleared up. Now, whether I do much ministry at this hour of my life is another matter and that's okay. But I w- wouldn't like to go to my grave with this thing hanging over me. I, I think that would be important. And what the church has tended to do, like there are loads of other examples like myself, what the church has tended to do is wait until a person is on their deathbed. And then they come in, they did it a bit with Father Sean Fagan, the Maris priest, and make a big deal out of lifting his sanctions and allowing him to say Mass when his mind was gone and he was uh, actually dying. So it was a meaningless exercise. So I don't want that to happen with me. If they're going to do it, now is the time to do it. I'll forget about it. Where is this kind, caring, compassionate church? Where's and Francis has it, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In so many ways. And I'm a great admirer of Francis and I think he's doing great work for the church. But there you go. That's it. Okay. Now, we invited you on to talk about the book. And of course, I'm going to talk to you about the book. It's called The Death of uh, Jesus the Jew. Now, the book is a reinterpretation of the New Testament through Jewish eyes. What does it reveal when you look at the New Testament through Jewish eyes? Well, there are two things. See, one of the things that has happened when Francis came in, and he made a statement, I'm paraphrasing it a little bit, he said he wants people to speak their truth and to speak openly and without fear. And for months, Francis said that a whole new mood developed in the church because under John Paul and Benedict, there was a lot of fear and people were, uh, were afraid to speak, and particularly scholars. But Francis set the scholarly process going again in the church and especially the study of the Bible. And what's becoming a big issue now is, was, is the Bible, particularly is the New Testament, a historical book 
or is it something else? In other words, is what is described in the New Testament actual historical accounts of what happened? Now, Peter is saying in his book that it isn't. This is written from a different perspective. And uh, when he writes about the death of Jesus, well, maybe it didn't happen exactly like that. And the book is about that. It's fascinating. It's challenging. It's very, very interesting. Is it, is it a book, though, that's going to divide people? I, I take it not everyone's going to agree with Peter's viewpoints. Oh, no. Yeah. But you see, that's part of the whole process that Francis has set loose. Open up the discussion. And if we can have discussion without division. And that's what he means by the synodal thing, uh, that people listen to each other's views. Now, I won't be the only one speaking that. There's a much more distinguished scripture scholar than myself, dear Madame Oroku, who I understand is also going to speak. And I'd be fascinated to hear what Diamond will make of Peter's book. I think Peter's book is, it's not an easy read, um, and it raises a lot of questions that would be new to me. And I'd be trying to figure out myself, like, where do I stand in relation to some of the things Peter was saying? But I don't mind that because I think that's a good thing. So would you, so you suggest, for, for people who would, would consider reading this, you need to come to this book with an open mind. Very much so. Yeah. You need to come to it with an open mind. And don't allow yourself to be shocked by some of the things he says. Uh, these are part of the debate that's going on uh, at the moment. And it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. And, and debate is healthy. I think debate is healthy. Uh, now, Francis is trying to do it with this notion of discernment. Uh, and what he, that's really all about is that we have to be open to alternative views to our own that we should never come to discernment with the conviction that we are right and the other person is wrong. Mm. Now, that, that's difficult stuff, as you probably know, because uh, I'm always inclined to think... We that. all like to think we're right. Oh, we Listen, do, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure once again connecting with you, uh, Father Tony. You'll be in the uh, Unitarian Church tomorrow on Princess Street at three. It's open to everybody. You can get signed copies of the book because I know Peter Kennan is going to be there uh, as well yeah. and uh, people can, can go along. Enjoy your trip to Cork, uh, Tony, yeah. and we will talk again. Thanks very much. God bless. Take bye care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The wonderful, wonderful Father Tony uh, Flannery. It's just that man has just been so wronged in what they have done to him. And, and uh, it's absolutely fantastic uh, to chat with him. As I say, we haven't spoke with him. I, I don't know, is it since the century? We, we, we would have spoken with him after he was suspended. But then, uh, obviously, we haven't spoke with him that much over the last uh, 11 years. So thrilled to be able to catch up with Father Tony Flannery uh, once again. Now, a few years ago at an outside broadcast from the Grand Parade my next guest joined me to provide some musical entertainment well Dylan Brickley a well-known Cork City busker joins me once again in studio ahead of the launch of his brand new single called Close to You great to see you Dylan uh, good morning to you how's life? Life's good couldn't be better now at the moment I'm very excited and I can't wait to get this single out I've worked so hard on it and um, I think it could be one of the biggest releases of the year from an independent artist. Well done, well done. Have you? Were you always writing music? To me, I knew you were somebody who did covers. Yeah, well, the covers work, you know, for the busking, you know, because everyone's familiar with the songs, but I have been writing songs in the background and just trying to get them out there. Um, but yeah, 
the last couple of years I've been working hard now on my originals and I think I have something going good here yeah. and with the help my TikTok and Facebook and all my social medias are blowing up at the moment so and we're getting big crowds busking so I'm just saying if they get behind the music and I think the music is good so I think you don't know where it might take you. Yeah, yeah, and when it, 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 take me back uh, your musical journey. You started when? When did you start singing and playing guitar? So I start. I was singing from a young age in school. We'll say I done a talent show when I was about fifteen. No experience and got up in in front of six hundred students. I ended up forgetting the words to oh, no. Colin Ray, Love Me, it's called. Yeah, I know the song. And after that then, um, I started posting YouTube covers, but I didn't play an instrument at the time. So then a couple of years later, when I was about 18, I started learning the guitar from YouTube. And I used to get up every morning and just put in hours upon hours just to try and learn the likes of Oasis, Wonderwall. I just wanted one song. And then that led to about 15 songs. And then I started busking when I was 19. And I can remember the first day I went in, I was very nervous. But um, I went down inside in town on Winthrop Street, just um, by Smith's, and started playing. And it went actually good. I had no amplifier at the time, no. But since then, it's it's been crazy. Like the places I've been, um, I've after getting gigs all over all over the place. We we have a good tradition in Cork for buskers. Don't Brilliant, we? Yeah. yeah. The support is unbelievable as well. Um, since I've been playing. Everyone's after getting behind me and can't thank them all enough. Yeah, and people stop and listen. It's not just a case of somebody walking by. No. It's, it's like you, you gather a crowd around you. And since since returning home from travelling, the people are actually staying listening for maybe an hour or two, like sitting down listening. And it's crazy because it could be really cold and I'd be thinking, like, how are they actually sitting here listening? But they're just connecting with the music and... Just getting a good fan base around the place. So, and are you putting your new stuff in now when, when, when you're busking? Are yeah, you, yeah. So the last year, I have this song about a year. Um, I wrote it about a year ago, so I'd include it in my busking set list. Play it at gigs, and the reason I actually recorded the song was because of these people that would stop and listen, and they'd ask me like, "Who sings that song?" and like. That this that's crazy for a busker to get, you know. Mm. And I'd be proud in and say, "Oh, that's my song." And they kept on saying to me, they were like, "You need to record that song, you know. It, it's a radio hit. You don't know where it might take you." So, I I made a promise to myself after Christmas, I want to work hard on originals and get into the studio straight away and just see what happens. Okay, we we have a, a piece. This is close to you. This is Dylan's brand new single. That's just a clip from that new single called Close to You. That is, that's incredible. That is really, really good. Thanks very well, much. Well done, well done. Tell me the process. Where did you record? I recorded it inside in Cork City um, with a producer. Okay. And uh, yeah, he's after putting a lot of hard work into it as well. His name is Axel. And uh, yeah, I think we have a great song there. And that's just a little clip. I don't want to give too much away. I know, yes. I know, because um, you're not officially launching it until next month, isn't it? Yeah. But w- w- was that whole process of recording though? Is that all new to you? Have you done? Have you recorded before? I've done a bit in the past, to be honest. Yeah. But um, we got this song done pretty quick um, because I had, like, I used to sing it when I was busking and stuff, and it was it was all it was fairly fairly easy to do. But um, yeah, I'm very happy with it. It's excellent. It's excellent. Have you the makings of an album written already, do you think? Yeah, I've a good, good lot of songs ready to go and the song I'm working on now at the moment after this release, I think it's another another banger so 
Um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going down the lines of releasing an album at some point. And like my end goal is maybe for the end of this year to just get my songs out there and maybe put on a show for the people that can come in and listen to original music. Brilliant. And Very brilliant. Yeah, that's the and goal. what is the ultimate goal? Is it to get, is it for some record company to hear you, an yeah. A&R man to pick, a woman to pick you up and go, this guy has it? Is yeah, it, so the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal through all the uh, the social media is blowing up at the moment. Like they're blowing up with like cover songs and stuff. And I just want it to be for orig- original music and maybe for someone out of a label to say, look, he, he has something good here. Let's let's have a chat with him and see what he can bring to the table. And um, you never know as well with Spotify. Like it's coming out on Spotify and iTunes and stuff. But if you can pre-save the song and it helps get the song into a Spotify playlist. Okay. Like a... Um, emerging artists or artists on the rise so that's what I've been trying to tell people on my socials to pre-save the song for free and it just takes five seconds you just log in with your Spotify or your email and it can help out the musician or artist so much so that's 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 the goal yeah we need to that's what we need to do we need to be encouraging the new talent that's you know definitely um, okay and I saw you before Christmas you were out busking for um Katrina and Penny Dinners. Yeah, yeah. Great guy. Great guy. What did you do? Was that was a one day event? Was it? Yeah, it's a one day event. Um, we I always try and help out when I'm when I'm back. I'm back from travelling now about two or three years, so it's great to help out. Cork Penny Dinners. They do amazing things, and I've done it. I've done it a good few years now, but this year or the year the year just gone, it was the biggest we've done so far. So I was thinking. I might as well like get onto all the Cork musicians that I know from Buskin and create a big show for all the families coming in for Christmas shopping. And the crowds we had was unbelievable. It was crazy. And people are extremely generous when they hear anything to do with Katrina and Cork Penny Dinners because people know how important their work is. Oh, it was, it was unreal. We, we raised thousands for them. And Katrina Toomey was delighted. She brought the choir with her, High Hopes Choir. Oh, yeah. And... Um, Oh, I was insane. Yeah. I'm actually looking forward to it for it again this year. <laughs> Already planning mm. for ne- for next Christmas. You mentioned you've been travelling. You were in Australia. You were in in Asia. Talk to me about Asia. You were there for during the lockdown for COVID. Yeah, so I was after leaving Australia. My year visa was up, and I said I'd go to Asia to do a bit of solo travelling, see how I got on. And I was going to go to New Zealand after that then for a year or two. But so I went over to. I was in Bali first for two weeks, went to Kuala Lumpur, and then I ended up going to Cambodia. So I was on my own just meeting a few solo travellers, met some great friends along the way. And um, as we were travelling down through Cambodia, I ended up on an island called Koh Rang. As, as you do. <laughs> it was called Koh Rang, and amazing island, oh, l- lovely things to see out there, and good nightlife. And one night I was just there, and... The guitar came out singing a few songs after a few beers and I met this guy who owned a lot of resort uh, venues and resorts and he just offered me a job on the island. So I ended up, for, for what it was supposed to be, a three-month holiday, I ended up staying there eight months during the <laughs> lockdown. So it was crazy. Great place to be for the lockdown. Unreal. Listen, okay. well done. Are you, are you sti- and you're still busking in, in Cork? Yeah, um, I haven't been out much now since Christmas over the weather, but in the lead up to my song, I'm going to be out every weekend and just trying to promote it the best I can. Okay, listen, we wish you good luck uh, with it. I, I think you've got a real, 
you have a real winner it's a fabulous fabulous song and let it be the first of many uh, Dylan but listen it's a pleasure to have had you in studio today thank you for thanks that thanks very much that is uh, Dylan Brick you're listening to Cork Today on Replay phone and text lines are currently closed as we've been reminding you all uh, week and again all morning today is the Irish Cancer Society's National Daffodil Day where we're all encouraged to please support the great work of the Cancer Society my next guest is a young new market woman Jennifer Sheehan who joins me to talk about the help and support she has received from the Irish Cancer Society good afternoon to you Jennifer Hi, how are you, Trisha? I'm, I'm very well and thank you for joining us on the programme. Um, I know you were diagnosed with uh, breast cancer only last year, so I suppose the first question is, how are you doing? I'm doing very good. I'm actually cancer-free officially since last week, which is brilliant. Is that amazing to get that call or to, yeah. To, yeah, to get to hear that you're cancer-free? Okay, and, and take me back then to last year when you were first diagnosed. Did you react very quickly to finding a lump? Yeah, so I suppose I, it kind of started with a small lump that I was able to kind of brush aside. Um, there was a lot going on at the time. My grandmother was actually in hospital, so I was very much focused on that. But it got to a point where it was actually so big that I couldn't mistake it. You know, like they'd usually be talking in millimetres and this was six centimetres, so it was quite big. Um, so I went to the doctor about it and they put me on antibiotics and stuff. They thought it was a cyst and... They thought it was an infected cyst and the antibiotics just weren't working, you know, and um, I kept going back and they finally said, look, this is obviously something that's not clearing. So we'll kind of refer you on to the crowd in CUH. And I got in then and I was diagnosed, I suppose, in September. So it all kind of snowballed from there, really, like, you know, you're diagnosed and then you're basically straight on to oncology you know, and then they go through the chemo with you or whatever. So it's it's very much step after step after that. Because you're only in your, your very early 20s. I mean, yes. was cancer the very last thing you were thinking of? Oh, definitely. And I suppose like I had just lost my grandmother, you know, and that day was the day that I found the cancer, like, you know. Oh, um, goodness. So it was all happening and it was actually my birthday as well. Oh. So it was all happening on the one day. But um, I suppose like it was in the family. So two of my aunts did have breast cancer before me, but they were in their 40s when they got it. So obviously I wasn't thinking about it at all, you know, but there was a bit of a feeling, you know, something wasn't right. There was a bit of discharge coming from the nipple and I just knew it was so stubborn that there was something not right with it. And that's why I kept going back. Yeah, because in the majority of cases, it is only a cyst, but I suppose your gut, yeah. your gut starts to tell you there's something more to this. So you get that. At the time, I imagine a devastating diagnosis, uh, Jennifer, in September, to be yeah, told. Yeah, I just so I went into complete shock, to be honest. Like there was part of me that kind of had an inkling that there was something going on. You know, I, I was sent in and I got um, examined and the doctor just kind of he passed a comment like, oh, that's very close to the skin or you know, he was saying, like, there was certain hints, you know, that I was getting, but um, he said with every kind of hard element, if there's a hard element to the lump, they have to biopsy it. And, like, I knew they were paying a bit more attention to me. So, in a way, it was a shock, but in a way, it was also a little bit, like, I kind of knew it was coming in a way. Um, but obviously, nothing will prepare you for something like that. For you know? hearing it, yeah. Um, yeah, and, of course, I think my parents were nearly more devastated oh, than God I was. <laughs> like, I was... I was kind of in shock. They were more so like upset straight away, but it took me a while to kind of process it, I suppose. 
and like in a way I still am you know mm. um, like I'm still going through the whole thing but it's something that I've kind of come to accept I think especially in the last couple of weeks even you know so and and the one thing you know we might give out about our healthcare system and people on waiting lists yeah. and people trying to get into A&E and people trying to access various therapies but the one thing Jennifer anytime I speak to anyone who's ever received a cancer diagnosis people talk about once you get into that system it's yes. fantastic it is and you know I know that like for the next however long however many years I will obviously be thinking oh will it come back but at least I know now that I'm on their radar so like if it does come back they'll know straight away you know and, and how how quickly how quickly did treatment start and what treatment did you receive so I was diagnosed in August I suppose and um it started so chemotherapy started in October um and I I had six rounds of chemotherapy uh, the first round was horrendous. Oh, my God. It was very bad. <laughs> I was on steroids and I wasn't sleeping and I got a bit of psychosis from it. Oh, so no. I was up all night and I was kind of hearing things for a while. But um, they gave me something to counteract that and that kind of brought me back down a bit. But that's actually something that can happen. Um, but then they will say they kind of trial run the first round and they see how you react. And then they base the rest of it on how you reacted to the first round. So they changed a few things up for me and it got easier as it went along, thank God. Um, I was able to actually get out and, and go for walks and things. For the first round, I wasn't even able to get out of bed hardly, unfortunately. But um, like it's just a kind of trial and error thing. And then I had surgery only last week and I'm going on to immunotherapy now for 12 rounds, I think. And then there's a bit of radiotherapy as well. So I'll be busy enough with it. Yeah, but you're cancer free for, uh, thanks to the that chemotherapy, is, yeah. which is just incredible. It's, uh, yeah. It really is incredible. And Jennifer, yeah. you, you used something that's called the Irish Cancer Society's Peer Support Programme. Talk to me yes, about that yes. and how it helped you. So I suppose I got in touch with them fairly straight away through my liaison nurse. Like they were giving us out like leaflets and stuff on where to go from there, you know, and supports. And um, I got in touch with them fairly quickly. And I suppose the peer support group kind of helped me through chemotherapy. So I got in touch with a woman who had triple negative breast cancer. So breast cancer is kind of all about receptors. Like and when you're tested, like under pathology, um, like your biopsies or whatever, they can tell you how many receptors are positive or negative. Uh, she had triple negative and I had triple positive. So we were kind of different, but similar in the same. Like mine would have been a bit more rare. And so was hers. Um, so I was able to talk to her about that. And like she gave me tips on, you know, chemotherapy and how to beat nausea and mm -hmm. side effects and all that. And um, I suppose they had a webinar as well that I attended. And it was about like just information on chemotherapy and kind of similar stuff like that, like telling us about side effects and how to deal with them. And um, I suppose they were directing me towards the daffodil nurses as well. Now, I never personally used them. I didn't have too many questions. I couldn't think of any really. But um, <laughs> if my liaison nurse was off, like, you know, she like, for example, now she doesn't work on a Wednesday, I would be able to go to them, you know. So it's a very um, important service, I suppose. And it's completely free because of days yeah. like today. Yeah. It's Which a, is amazing. Yeah, like. it, it, it really is great. Did you lose your hair? I didn't. It oh. kind of came out in chunks a bit. Okay. Um, 
So it thinned out a small bit, but I didn't actually ever go fully bald. Okay. Now I did make the decision to shave my head all right because it was just gone to the stage where it was falling out and it was going into my soup and while <laughs> I was eating and stuff. Um, but it, no, it never fully went, and I kept my eyebrows and my eyelashes as well, which is very good. Like, okay, because I think that's all down to like they changed the medications and stuff. So my chemo after the first round wasn't very intense. Um, and after the first round, actually, the lump completely melted away. So that was brilliant. Like, you know, so you got to see the progress as you went along. And breakthrough in cancer is, and of course, we've got the wonderful Cork breakthrough breast cancer yes. uh, as well. And, and I know the Irish Cancer Society put a lot of their money into research as well. And we're getting so many yeah, breakthroughs. So it's many completely different, different now. Yeah, it's completely yeah. different now to what it was 30, 40 years ago where, you know, I mean, we, yeah. we didn't even speak. We, 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 we used the term the C word. You know, you were afraid to even yeah, say it. Yeah. It is, it is, it is completely different. And uh, Jim, yeah, and I suppose, like, on, even yeah. compared to my aunt and stuff, we'll say my aunts that got it, you know, it's, I'd say they had it about maybe 12 years ago and there's so many new things now on the scene. Like, it's unbelievable. Yeah, Jim says, Patricia, great to hear Jenny with a good news story about cancer for a change. Hopefully she will stay cancer free now. Fair play to her for sharing her story. She sounds like a very strong and positive young lady and hopefully help will help other women to check themselves and get regular checkups at their doctors. Thanks for that, Jim. That's and it's that's so your important. message, I'd say, Jennifer, is it today? Sorry? I'd say that is your message to others, particularly young yeah. women. Yeah, like I suppose my message is you're never unfortunately too young to get cancer. Like, you know, um, if you ever find anything, go about it. Like, it doesn't matter what's happening in your life. I completely, when I found it, I just dropped everything and went straight away, you know. And I suppose trust your instinct. If you think that there's something wrong, you're better off getting it checked than leaving it go, you know, because... I was lucky with mine um, that it was so big I couldn't kind of brush it off for a finish. But some women have like very small lumps that kind of go under the radar, you know. So it's just really important. OK, well done. Well done. Listen, uh, you, are you back working, study? What, what are you up to life-wise? So I deferred the year uh, because my immune system and everything would be down from chemo. You know, there was no point in kind of going to college with it and of course like you'd have to but um I'm hopefully going back to MTU I'm studying marketing uh I would have been going into my final year but um I'm hopefully going back to that now in August or September so fingers crossed so at the whole at the moment you're at home with mammy and daddy looking after you that's it I'm, yeah I'm just kind of relaxing and taking it easy you know well done. Well done. Listen, fantastic to, to speak with you today, Jennifer. Continued uh, good health. Uh, and thank you for sharing, sharing your story. As you say, even if only one person reacts to what you're saying today, you know, a life could That's be saved. It. And for all of us, please go out and support the work of the Irish Cancer Society. Jennifer, thank you for that. Thanks a million, Patricia. Good afternoon to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye. What a lovely young woman. That's Jennifer uh, Shahin from uh, Newmarket on her uh, cancer uh, journey. Just on a breaking uh, news story, Graeme Dwyer has lost his appeal against his conviction for the murder of Elaine O'Hara. The Court of Appeal found that the limited admission of call data could not give rise to a miscarriage of justice and has not upheld any ground for appeal. It now means the 51-year-old architect who was found by a jury to have 
stabbed the 36-year-old woman to death back in August of 2012 will remain in prison to continue his life uh, sentence. He was, of course, convicted in March of uh, 2017 and has been in custody since his arrest in 2013. But he has lost his appeal against his conviction. That's Graeme Dwyer. 0818 103 103. Our lines are open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Bingo will be held in Mallow GAA Complex tonight, 8.15. They've got a jackpot, €5,500. Kildallery Bingo also on tonight, 8 o'clock. That's at the store at the Creamery Yard. Doors open at 7. The jackpot, €1,440. And there's dancing tonight to Brian McDermott in Kilbehany Community Centre. It starts at 9 o'clock. Admission is €10 and teas will be served. There will be a performance of The Field by John B. Keane. That's in Rathgormac Community Hall tomorrow, Saturday. It's in aid of the Rathgormac Men's uh, Shed. And a coffee morning in aid of the Scott Corsican Fund will be held at Kilbehany Community Centre. That's next Sunday and it's from 11.30 onwards. And also on Sunday at 7 o'clock, a concert will take place in Kilgariff Church, Clonakilty, Church of Ireland. The proceeds... Uh, uh, with the donation will be given by the day on the door on the day there's no charge you can give what you would like and proceeds will go towards victims of the Turkish Syrian earthquake the Irish Red Cross appeal taking part Clonakilty Voices the Valley Voices there will also be a a cello piano duo and local pianist uh, Tomas O'Hay Cancelled will last for about 80 minutes. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. This is Court today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. And I know we are continuing to encourage people to support the Irish Cancer Societies today Today on uh, Daffodil Day. Uh, Bernice, who's on Morrison's Island in the city, has sent in a text saying, Patricia, would you remind people that this uh, weekend uh, there is a special epilepsy day. I think it's a World Epilepsy uh, Day. Bernice has had epilepsy since she was two years of age and said she'd be lost without the fantastic work of the Epilepsy Association. Association of Ireland and it's actually Purple Day it's a kind of a, it's a worldwide fundraising uh, event that happens this weekend where they encourage people all over the world to wear purple in support of people with epilepsy and I know here in Ireland for example they they have wristbands uh, you'll probably see them on sale and they're encouraging people to wear any any kind of purple a purple ribbon whatever just to uh, support the work of the Epilepsy Association in Ireland so you might come across that at the weekend because it is it is happening. It's uh, the World uh, Purple Day is this weekend. So good luck to everybody uh, involved in that. Now, some of your thoughts and comments coming in. Some reaction to uh, the wonderful chat I had with Father uh, Tony Flannery. And I, I really enjoyed my chat with him. And I realised when I was chatting to him how much I miss talking with him. He's such a lovely, kind, caring 
compassionate uh, man who has just always been so full of empathy and what happened to him 11 years ago when he got suspended by the Vatican and even to hear him talk about it you can still hear the pain in his voice no grounds to appeal they simply didn't like what he was saying and I mean really what Father Tony was only ever trying to do was trying to drag the Catholic Church kicking and screaming into the 21st century and the irony is that 11 years after he was suspended a lot of what he was talking about is now openly spoken about within the Catholic Church but it almost feels just because the decision was made nobody has got the guts to say we were wrong on that or we need to change our mind on that and they're leaving him now in this dreadful limbo almost I mean to hear him talk about his beloved sister passing away and the Archbishop refusing to allow him to say Mass for his sister is just cruel, beyond, beyond cruel. Mara says, feels so sorry listening to Father Tony Flannery on the programme uh, today. And Mara says, I say that even though I wouldn't have a lot of time for priests nowadays. But he feels that this man, Father Tony, was bullied for simply telling the truth. Is that not typical of the Catholic Church? He said, is it any wonder that the Church is finding it hard to get people to join the priesthood? This kind of behaviour surely is turning young people off the Catholic uh, Church. And then Kathleen in Cork City said, how wonderful it was, Patricia, to hear Father Tony's voice on the programme today. She said, I can still see him on the altar steps of the Church telling us about the other side of the prodigal son. It was absolutely beautiful. I wish him well and be assured for the Tony says Kathleen that God does love at him yeah because he was a redemptorist priest so he would have been all over the country but certainly he was there wasn't a church I say in Cork that he didn't at some stage uh, do the you know, the famous redemptorist retreats I know they still go on they're not as common as they they used to be but he was he was very much part of that uh, team so thank you uh, for people just wanting to recognize the wonderful father Tony Flannery now on oh th- this is on when I mentioned earlier about Dublin Airport and they've now got permission from Fingal County Council that will allow them to introduce a system whereby if you're dropping off or collecting passengers at Dublin Airport, you will be charged. Don't know yet how much it's going to be. The only thing they've come out and say to say Dublin Airport is to say, because they've got a lot of media requests asking them when are they going to start introducing it. And they've just said Dublin Airport has no current plans to introduce drop off or pick up charges. But as and from last Wednesday, the onboard Panola uh, published their decision, which has upheld the council's decision to grant planning permission, which clears the way for the DAA to get to work on their plans. And their plans will one day be that every time you go to the airport, if you're just dropping off or collecting somebody, you will be charged. Similar to what happens in a lot of other airports around the world but especially airports in the UK. In Heathrow, for example, you get you get 15 minutes to drop off or pick up some somebody. I think it depends on the time of the day, but it can be anything from, from £3 to £7. So they are going to, one day, you can be guaranteed it's going to be uh, introduced. Uh, well, commentary in on uh, that. This drop-off and pick-up uh, charges, that, w- that will happen, even though they're saying no current plans at the moment. Is this all down to our dear green friend, Minister Eamon Ryan? It's to the likes of him that we're all struggling with the cost of living. We should do as the French do and protest if we're not happy with the issues that are brought in. We've put up with enough rubbish. Let's have a vote on all of these 
unpopular uh, charges and well I don't know if we would want to go down the route of the French but by God when the French decide to protest do they know how to protest of course the current protest that's going on there is over their pension age they want to bring it is it from 60 to 62 they're, they're still even even with the introduction of the new pension age it is still even below you know, what we are here. I mean, in this country, you don't pick up a pension until you are uh, 66. And actually, I saw uh, just today on the news wires, there was to be a visit to France from next Sunday by Britain's King Charles and that's been postponed because of the ongoing protests about the pension uh, reform. The French presidency has announced that. So I don't know whether we would want to go down to the, to the level of protest that's going on in France. It's, it's, it seems to be really getting quite nasty at times. 0818103103. And then Tess says, Patricia, I wonder, could you ask your listeners out there, do any of them think that they're not getting as much by way of winnings on the national lottery cards nowadays. The reason Tess is inquiring and she sent me on a photograph by WhatsApp of all the wonderful uh, scratch cards that she got as part of her Mother's Day present. Obviously, children decided to put some of the scratch cards in with uh, Tess's Mother's Day card. She said in total, 36 euro worth of scratch cards were purchased for Tess and she said I got four euro out of uh, the cards that were bought in one shop now she she sent me on the type of cards they are five euro cards three euro cards two euro cards and one euro card so there was a complete mix and she won for herself four euro you would have thought with 36 euro worth of cards lottery cards that you would have won a lot more than that I don't per se do lottery tickets that often so I've no way of knowing whether they are giving out less at the moment or that they used to give out more before. I have a tendency that if I'm sending a card to somebody I don't like sending blank cards so I'll always, you know, maybe pop in five scratch cards in it. I have to say I have noticed that anyone I've sent them to probably in the last two years people will come you know and, and you know people will acknowledge got your card got the scratch cards and you'd always ask did you win anything and people generally speaking are coming back saying no that they that they didn't so I don't know other people noticing that and I think you only whatever about if you buy a random card and you don't win you just think oh that's just a bit of hard luck I didn't win but when you get that amount of cards 36 euro worth of uh, cards in the photograph there two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven at least 12 cards there must have been um Tess has received and to win four at Europe. 0818103103 and just one final text in uh, from Mossy to say, Patricia, with the banks and the government crucifying our people at the mo- at the moment, with, I'm assuming Mossy's talking about cost of living crisis, you wonder where's the compassion from these individuals who run all of these organisations. You assume, even though we shouldn't assume, that an individual who runs these organisations, surely they are somewhat Christian. All I want to know is where's their compassion when people are suffering and people are really struggling at the moment with the uh, cost of living and that's from Mossy in West Cork. Thank you for that uh, Mossy WhatsApping 086 to 103 103 and to people I think every day this week I've had a, a text or a question in from people wondering when is the additional 200 euro the social welfare additional payment that's been made not to everyone on social welfare but to a cohort of social welfare payments I know the pensioners are getting it people on disability allowance uh, are getting it it's to be paid in April. People are wondering when in April 
we still don't have a date on that. We're waiting on a date, but they haven't given an official uh, date. Uh, we'll, we'll, look, we'll look into it again next week to see can we get an official date. And as I say, I keep getting texts in about that and that's purely down to, I think people probably have bills or know they have a bill to pay or something that has to be sorted out in April and they're wondering, are they going to get the payment in the beginning, the middle or the end of April? As soon as we hear from the Department of uh, Social Protection as to when that extra additional €200 Euro is, to pay, is to be paid, uh, we certainly, I'm not ignoring the, your texts and we will bring you that information when we get it. John Paul taking your calls 0818 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And with some suggestions of movies you might like to watch this weekend, Mark Malone joins me. Good afternoon, Mark. Hi, Patricia. And you're very welcome. Okay, two movies. You watched a movie called 65, and then the second movie is Code Name Banshee. Let's take a trailer, though, first from 65. 65 finally makes dinosaurs scary again. It will have you on the edge of your seat and is best experienced on the big screen. 65. I need to get us home. Ready? Run. Okay, another dinosaur movie? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. It's another dinosaur movie, yeah. And um, you could hear the guy in the trailer saying, this is the movie that's going to make dinosaurs scary again. So people got very, very excited when we heard about this film. Now, it's been around a while, but it just hasn't been released, which is never a good sign. And I think when it was released, it wasn't uh, released to to critics. um, And that is also not a very good sign. Uh, Because when we heard about it a couple of years ago, we thought, this is going to be great. Adam Driver in a dinosaur movie, because we've been waiting for a really good dinosaur movie since the first Jurassic Park really yeah, yeah. I mean was... you're straight away thinking Jurassic Park when, yeah. when you hear the when you hear the trailer there exactly the same sound effect as well I noticed they use uh, for the um, the T-Rex there but the thing is is that uh, we've been waiting one for one for quite some time because uh, you know the sequels and the Jurassic World films I mean they've been a pretty pretty disappointing nothing has ever matched to no. that first uh, movie no. do you know what I mean so we were all looking forward to it uh, as I say it's been around a couple of years it was finally released and uh, yeah it's, it's, it's a disappointment which is a bit ah. of Shame. Yeah, I'm afraid so. It doesn't really, really quite work, and it is a pity. Um, it's brought to you by the. Uh, it's written and directed by Scott Beck and Brian Woods. Now they wrote the first A Quiet Place. I don't know if you saw that movie or not. Mm. Uh, it's a terrific movie, and so um, they've decided to. Um, well, if we can write, we can direct. Maybe not quite. Um, which is a bit Stick of a shame. Stick to the writing. Exactly. So we meet Adam Driver, and um, he is an astronaut. He is a pilot, and there's a kind of a prologue at the start of the film uh, where he um, is having a conversation with his wife and his young daughter. We find out that his daughter isn't well. She's she's sick. And so uh, for her treatment, he needs to earn money. And so he takes this job where he's got to go away for two years. Now, I'm not sure you would leave your daughter if you have a sick daughter for two years. I'm not sure really that that would happen. Uh, but anyway, he decides to do it. She isn't best pleased, as you can imagine. And so basically what he's doing is uh, he's transporting this uh, group of people um, in these kind of, you know, these kind of hypersleep chambers, you know, like an yeah. alien where they fall yeah, asleep yeah. for a number of years. Yeah, and then now, they wake not, them up. He's not in one of those. I don't know really why. But uh, obviously he's just delivering them, letting them go, letting them there, whoever, wherever they're, they're, uh, he's bringing them. Because we ne- we're not told. 
old for some strange reason, which is very, very odd. I get the impression that there was a lot of studio involvement in this film and there was a lot of stuff cut out and uh, because they never tell us where they're going. But anyway, that's not the point, I suppose. And anyway, um, what happens is as uh, he's uh, flying along in the spaceship, uh, he gets hit by a meteorite shower or a meteor shower, I suppose, and he crash lands on this planet. And then the titles come up. And for some reason, and this is what I mean about studio involvement, the studio, I bet you it's the studio decided that they had to tell us at that very moment in time that it's Earth 65 million years ago. Hence the title. Oh, when okay. Dinosaur, when dinosaurs so ruled the Earth. Yeah. So Walked on Earth. Yeah. So um, humans apparently were not on Earth uh, 65 million years ago with the dinosaurs, but humans did exist in other planets. So, but they, I don't know why they felt they needed to tell us that because I think uh, there was no need. Uh, but then again, I think, you know, most movie studios think that people are really dumb and stupid anyway, and they felt that they need to tell it because they, they also wanted it to be, a, it's, I think it's 12s or 13s film. Uh, so there's no really explicit violence. There's no real kind of scares in the film at all because they obviously wanted to make this film, uh, you know, for kids. Mm. And, uh, and, I, and I've seen Adam Driver being interviewed where he said, yeah, it's, it's, it's a dinosaur film for, the, for all the family. The problem is, it's a dinosaur film with very few dinosaurs in it. If you remember, <laughs> when I did Cocaine Bear a couple of weeks ago and um, my daughter's um, review was, needed more bear yeah. uh, well we went to see this uh, uh, together and she said the exact same afterwards it needed more dinosaurs because most of the dinosaurs that you actually do see are just tiny little things do you know what I mean with the odd glimpse of uh, of a T-Rex uh, but not enough do you know what I mean and they had the money to spend I mean I think it has a um, uh, a 90 million dollar budget and uh, the, one, uh, the other good thing about it is that most of it was filmed at least you know what I, I keep giving out about them making films in big green boxes yeah. here, here at least they did go into the forests of Oregon Okay. and Louisiana so at least that gave it kind of some kind of you know feeling of reality but some of the scenes are really really dumb and stupid and make absolutely no sense whatsoever uh, there's one other survivor on uh, earth with him and um, this little girl she doesn't speak English which I don't think helps the communication there's no real charisma you know between the two of them and it's, 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 a, it's a terrible pity it's a terrible shame and um, the, the one good thing about it is that it's an hour and a half long and I'll bet you that there's uh, another hour, half hour somewhere on, on the, the cutting floor floor yeah somewhere and uh, I'd like to see kind of that version and um, but again I'm sure I, I'm nearly certain that it, the uh, the movie studio stepped in here to try and make something that uh, you know um, undercut I think uh, the, 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 the 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 kind of not, not supposed to talent but the idea of the film that uh, the directors wanted to portray on screen uh, and their, is, their is, vision but is, is the trailer right in that you do need to see this on a big screen um, yeah, well we saw it on the big screen and we really enjoyed it I mean the sound was pretty amazing but um, you know the daughter is normally very very hyper and catches my arm and gets very excited she hardly moved for a good hour and at one stage she turned to me and said you know this isn't particularly good and uh, she was right look it's entertaining enough I mean she didn't like it at all I think she gave it 3 out of 10 for me I'll give it um, 6 out of 10 I don't think look it's entertaining up to a point but it could have and really should have been so much better but children particularly little boys love dinosaurs yeah exactly would they enjoy it I think so yeah Yeah. he gets a wound at one stage which is kind of a little bit explicit but um, that's pretty much the only thing really that uh, I would find that people might find uh, um, offensive okay. um, and as I say there's just not enough dinosaurs really it's basically I mean if you saw The Last of Us 
is uh, on, uh, um, which is a kind of a terrific program that's on at the moment, um, and uh, with Pedro Pascal. I mean, they try to kind of get that kind of um, emotional kind of response for you with the relationship of this um, man and this young girl. But they, it's nowhere near as good as The Last of Us, unfortunately. And uh, it's in the end, it's a disappointment. But I still recommend people to go and see it if they want to see a, a dinosaur movie with very few dinosaurs. And it's called 65, mark it out of 10. As I say, I'd give it five or six. Five, yeah, six five, five six-ish <laughs> out of 10. OK, now your second movie is Codename Banshee. Yeah, and when I saw it, um, when I saw the trailer, when I saw the poster for it, I thought, um, well, obviously there's one reason why this has been released. And that's because of the Banshees of Inishirin, which, yeah. which does happen. I mean, movie studios do this. If they have a really, really low-budget kind of film, which they know isn't very good, you'll see it happening quite a lot. Let's say a Pinocchio film comes out, you'll see a really, really cheap kind of knockoff Pinocchio film, uh, which somebody has made, and they release it and think, well, if, you know, people might you know, click on us yeah. by accident, and people might, might click on this. Might come exactly. to it, yeah. And then I thought, well, you know, there's the Irish involvement, and I thought that could be kind of good, because when I looked at the, the poster um, at Antonio Banderas, he had red hair. He's got, he dyed his hair red for this. And I thought, oh, maybe he's the Banshee. And, uh, but he's not, in fact, at all. Uh, the Banshee is uh, played by Jamie King here. And uh, it's never explained why she's really called the Banshee. And it has no Irish influence at all, uh, which I thought was a bit of a shame because I was looking forward to having some kind of Irish influence in the film. And basically what she is is that uh, she's a CIA hit woman and she just kills a lot of people. And uh, it's uh, 90 minutes of just basically people pointing guns of people and shooting them and it's the same old cliched stuff we've seen so many times before I look I knew I wasn't going to particularly like it very much it's got a 0% rating on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> so I'm not the only one and it's a terrible shame you know it's a terrible pity and of course because I watched um um, Antonio Banderas uh, recently um, in Puss in Boots <laughs> every time he spoke all I could think of, I had this vision of a cat in the back of my head <laughs> <laughs> which doesn't help in a movie like this That's because tough. it seems it seems the call sign Banshee is well known in the world of professional killers who knew? Uh, well, I'm not quite sure that's true, but uh, you know what I mean. But yeah, look, you know, Jamie King, she's, she, she does okay, do you know what I mean? But uh, there are sequences that we've seen a billion times before of just people shooting each other and it's just, it's just so dull and boring. It really is. I can't recommend it at okay, all. Okay, Market, codename Banshee out of 10? Uh, two. Ooh, okay, <laughs> one of the lowest. Okay, listen, thank you for that, Mark. Have yeah. a lovely week and uh, we'll chat again next uh, Friday. That is Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. Well, on Scratch Cards, uh, hi, Trish, I put 20 euro worth of scratch cards into my mum's card on Mother's Day and she won 10 euro. That's from Bernice in the city. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. Uh, thanks to John Paul Nick's up next. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.